Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you're here. Today we also welcome some animals into our midst because it's Animal Blessing Sunday. And um, we come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every human, but today we might broaden our minds to consider that there's a spark of the divine in every being. One of the ways that we greet the divine on a Sunday morning is by turning to the people and the beings around us and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together the lighting statement for the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. We light the fire of truth and ask to be clear, wise, and humble enough to admit when we don't know. We kindle the warmth of community and ask for open-heartedness and patience. We are grateful to the spirit of life and ask to learn the secret to loving and being loved. Today's call to worship is from Francis Hodgson Burnett, a white British-born American novelist and playwright. She is best known for the three children's novels, Little Lord Fauntleroy, A Little Princess, and The Secret Garden. Today's reading is from A Little Princess. How it is that animals understand things, I do not know, but it is certain that they do understand. Perhaps there is a language which is not made of words, and everything in the world understands it. Perhaps there is a soul hidden in everything, and it can always speak without even making a sound to another soul. This congregation wrote a mission statement to guide our decisions as we move forward together. We wrote it on the wall, and we say it together every Sunday just to remind ourselves what we're doing here and why. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. One of the ways that we build the beloved community is by um, acquiring the knowledge that our culture almost works to keep from us. And so um, I want to tell you about an experiment that some sociologists did with a group of people who identify as white, got around a monopoly board, and some of them, unbeknownst to the others, or in front of the others, but unnoticed by the others, got $400 every time they passed go, and they had three get-out-of-jail-free cards stacked up when they started the game. And uh, when one of those people won... They were interviewed about, at the end of the game about why they thought they won, and most of them just said, well, I'm just really good at this game. And they hadn't noticed that the other people got $200 when they passed go and didn't have any get-out-of-jail cards, free cards stacked up. And so in that same way, um, those of us who identify as white are privileged in so many ways by our culture, but we are almost trained not to notice that we just think we're really good at this. 
Today's meditation reading is by Eckhart Tolle. He was a white German-born resident of Canada and a spiritual teacher, best known as the author of The Power of Now and A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose. Today's reading is from The Power of Now, A Guide to Spiritual Enlightenment. Watch any plant or animal and let it teach you acceptance of what is. Surrender to the now. Let it teach you being. Let it teach you integrity, which means to be one, to be yourself, to be real. Let it teach you how to live and how to die, and how not to make living and dying into a problem. In this time in the service, we pray and meditate and become quiet and we breathe deeply and we speak or we listen to God as we understand God or we listen to the wisdom that lives inside us or we just listen to our breath. So let us enter the wise silence together, understanding that noises from little kids and little pets are part of the silence in this congregation. One of the times that I realized that what works with 
animals might also work with humans was when I was working as a therapist. And there was an article in the New Yorker magazine by a horse trainer, and she talked about figuring out the stories that a horse was telling itself about itself and how if you could change the story that the horse was telling itself about itself, the horse could change its behavior, its attitude. She said, for example, some horses have a story, I'm a very frightened horse, and if you could help it change that story, that would help the horse. Or some horses would have a story that I'm a very big, scary horse. And if you could help that horse change its story, then it could change. And I thought, oh my goodness, I bet this could work with my therapy clients. I'm going to start paying attention to the stories that they're telling themselves about themselves and see if I could maybe point it out and we could decide to change the story. The second time was when I was, uh, I had two small children at home, two boys. And you know, when you first have a baby, you have no idea what you're doing unless you've taken classes and got a master's degree in baby stuff. So you just learn as you go. And, and then I had two of them, which was like more than double hard. And I, this older child of mine had a squeal that could really clear out a whole restaurant. And that was when he was happy. He would just go, but a lot louder than that. And um, people would suddenly ask for their bill. And um, so one day he was sitting in a chair with me and he was squealing. And, uh, and he, he liked to smack too. So he had just started this smacking thing. And so he was sitting in my ear, squealing, piercing and smacking like that. And I turned around and I screamed, we do not scream and we do not smack. And I thought, oh, I need help. (laughs) This is not the way to teach my child not to scream and smack. So I bought a book called How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend. That was a dog training book. My best friend is a vet, and she just said, you know, baby mammals are baby mammals. And so I started reading this book, and it taught me a lot. It taught me that you need to have in your mind the outcome that you wish for. And they said, we want to teach our dogs. This was by the monks of New Skeet. They raised German shepherds instead of making jelly um, in their monk place. And, um, and they said, we want to make our dogs good companions. And we want to teach them how to, how to lie peacefully while we are having dinner. And we want to teach them how to walk peacefully with us and how to not make fools out of themselves and... We have to um, do this by having respect for them and allowing them or inviting them or making them have respect for us, not by hurting them, but by catching them doing right 
We catch them doing well, and we say, good dog. And instead of punishing them when they do wrong, because they always have, they have their reason, and sometimes the reason has to do with us, and we always examine ourselves first. I thought that was so interesting. And then I started to try to catch my children doing right and praising them, and that worked pretty well. Most of the time, you know, nothing works all the time. And then I thought, I'm raising them to be good, useful citizens in this culture. And what happens in this culture when you mess up? Well, you get fined, you have to pay money, or you get put in jail, which is like time out. You don't actually put the toddlers in jail, except for now, don't get me started. But we had a time out chair or timeout step. It was a different place every time. And so um, even though before they knew what nickels were, I gave them like a bag full of nickels at the beginning of every week. And I said, you get to keep whatever nickels are yours at the end of the week. But if you do something that I've asked you not to do or um, misbehave, then I will find you a nickel. And they said, okay. So, um, They didn't like giving up their nickels. And then later when they got older, it was quarters. But so if they were fighting, I would say, if y'all can't work this out, you're going to both owe me a nickel. And they were like, oh. And sometimes, you know, my older one, who was a bit of a smart mouth, would just kind of give me a nickel ahead of time and say, I'm not cleaning my room. (laughs) So I had to work out other stuff with him. And I love, I've always loved horses, and I, and I um, used to ride horses a lot, but I got, uh, I was riding a horse around in a ring, jumping over the jumps when I was 14, and I didn't have my helmet on because I was too cool, and the horse saw the barn up ahead up on the hill and jumped over the ring itself instead of over the jump and threw me off, and I got um, concussion, amnesia. And I limp to this day because of that, um, that dratted horse. But I'm blaming myself more than the horse, even though it's more fun to blame the horse. But I became interested in how do you, I'm still interested in how do you train horses. And they used to, or some people still do, do this thing called breaking the horse. They break the colt, a young filly or a young colt. And what that means, and... German child-raising books in the 30s used to talk about breaking the child. So um, you just be so mean that the horse or the child decides it's just not worth it to disobey, but then you're, you're in a relationship of fear with that person or that animal, and that's not the best kind of relationship to be in because you have to just keep upping the hurt. You know, the, the urge for freedom is so strong, you have to keep increasing the hurt, which is not good for anybody. And I um, became interested in this woman who talked to the horses about their story, not talked to them, but worked with them. And she talked about a man named Buck Branneman, who many of you have heard of, who does this gentle horse training thing. He just gets a horse in a round pen and puts a long lead on which means he's got hold of a rope and the other part of the rope is hooked onto the horse's halter. 
And so the horse wants to run away, but it can't really run away because it's in a round pen. And Buck just stands in the middle, and the horse just goes, runs around and around and around and around and around and around and around. But it can't get away from him. And he's right there. He's not jerking on the horse, but he's holding firmly, firm and gentle, firm and gentle and patient. And he just does it till the horse makes eye contact. Because when the horse get, makes eye contact, it means I see you, and you're the guy I guess I'm going to have to deal with because you're still here. And then they do start developing this relationship of, well, what do you want from me? And it's respectful on both sides. You know, the horse would probably rather just be running out in the field with his friends. But human beings like to partner with horses, and so you teach the horse to be a partner with you. And Buck talks about how to do it. Now, I don't know anything about horse training, but I love the documentary about him. And watching him work with horses, and he works with them, and he can feel the little changes in them. And you know from working with people that you can feel little changes in people when finally they say something they've needed to say or when finally you say something that they've needed to hear and the tone of their their muscles changes or the body language changes and you can tell, okay, something has just happened. And you can do that with horses as well. And dogs, I assume, although I've never been very good at dogs, cats, eh. But he says you have to figure out how they're thinking. How are they thinking? And he says, you know, when you have a new filly and you want to ride her, what you're trying to do, what you do is you come up to her and you're smelling like a hamburger and you're, because uh, you just had that for lunch, and you try to put the bridle on her, which is made of leather. So you've got like dead animals, dead animals, dead animals all around her. She can smell that. And you put a saddle on her. And then you try to get up on her in the same posture that a tiger would get up on her ancestor, crouched and ready to bite the neck. She's not going to like that. All of her DNA is screaming. And so it takes a lot of trust and relationship. And you just have to think, what is this like for them? Like, you're trying to find a place for your cat to enjoy being. So you've got to find a place where they can see everything that's coming at them. They're not going to want to be in a place where things can come up behind them. Ancient DNA. It's always working. It's a, Anyway. So you have a relationship with this horse, and you respect them, and they respect you. And they try your patience. Not children, of course. They never do. <laughs> I used to say to my sons, Mommy's patience is down to here. And they would say, Mom, uh, light a candle, take a bath. We'll be fine. <laughs> but then I would come back out, and I had this beautiful barrel. I loved gardening. had this beautiful barrel, and I had put tulip bulbs in there, and I'd planted pansies. And then the tulips were coming up through the pansies. And it was the most beautiful thing. And I would go downstairs and I would look out at this barrel and it would just be like my morning meditation. 
And one time when I was in the bath with the candle, they decided to take their wiffle ball bats and that the tulip heads looked a lot like balls and they just took all the tulip heads off. Anyway, Buck Brenneman says it's good to control your emotions. <laughs> and often you can. Just do your best. Mostly they were like, Ma, don't cry. Ma, don't cry. Ma, Ma, don't cry. We teach them discipline by having discipline. We we know that animals and children and our friends, everyone needs the discipline, which just means you have a, a process that you're committed to for getting toward your, your outcome that you want. Discipline doesn't mean punishment. In fact, if you do it really, really well, you don't really need punishment, they say. I don't know. Again, I'm not an expert on children, dogs, cats, horses, or really anything but church. And so we need to stay as calm as we can. They talk about this in the um, other child-raising book called Children, the Challenge that I got, which was ostensibly written by this um, psychotherapist, but really was written, I think, by his wife. Um, But anyway, um, they talk about keeping a neutral tone. It's very Montessori. And you give your children choices, like you say, it's time for bed. Would you like the blue pajamas or the yellow pajamas? And then they have a choice, but they're going to bed. (laughs) Until they learn, you know. And then they go, Ma, I'm going outside. Do you want me to go in five minutes, or do you want me to go right now? (laughs) Mutual respect. Emotional discipline. Love. And if it comes to children, they're going to turn out pretty much like you anyway, no matter what. So we work on ourselves as well. And now it's time for the pet blessing and the pet parade. So our, we're going to have a beautiful song. And I want you to parade your animals around and around so everyone gets to see the beauty of them. And then we're going to end up all right here in the front for the actual blessing. Now let us bless these animals. Send thoughts of love and peace. We bless you, our animal companions, those who are here with us today and those for whom we have a photograph in our hand. We bless you for your faithfulness, for your love for us, for the things you teach us and the things you allow us to teach you. May we have for ourselves some of the loyalty of dogs, some of the quirkiness of cats, some of the curiosity of ferrets, some of the wisdom of fish, some of the ability to relax of a sloth. May you make us better people 
And may we practice on you, keeping our emotional composure. And may we understand whether you would rather have a hug or a bowl of water. May we understand you and the way you're thinking and pay attention to your details. And we are grateful to you. You bless us so much. May it be so. And now for all our wonderful animal companions that were such good companions, let's just say really softly to them, good girl. And now let's say, good boy. That's nice. They were good. Will you say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.